All right. Uh, welcome to Self-Made Millionaire Tips. Colin Plume. Uh, excited to be here again and talk about something really fun. I have Bree Schmidt, who's uh, someone that's uh, over the last 10 years has really taken on the, the real estate world and wanted to uh, kind of change her, her lifestyle from corporate America and uh, sort of get into something that she had more control and uh, mother of two family and uh, really excited to talk about real estate in the Chicago, Milwaukee area. So uh, and also the owner of Brokerage uh, Second City in, in are you, you're based in Chicago, right? Second City is based yes. in Chicago. Uh -huh. okay. And not anything to do with the comedy group? No. Okay. But they probably sued you or something that happened. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No. Second City is a nickname for Chicago. Yeah. 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 Right. But is it? And then and the, the group is there. The comedy group is in. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for coming on. Excited to talk about real estate. Um I watched some interviews with you or kind of early on uh, on YouTube and maybe just tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, I think off air, you mentioned it's been 10 years. So tell me a little bit about your journey, why you got into it and, you know, where we are today. Yeah. So I used to work in corporate advertising sales and I loved what I did. Right. I used to I actually used to work for the LA Times a long, long time ago. Really? 2000, oh yeah, 2005, 2007, maybe I worked in LA Times. So I used to fly out to LA all the time for client meetings. Um, but, you know, I was in my mid 20s and had a corporate expense account and got to travel all over these cool places and go see cool things and take out clients for expensive dinners and, you know, made six figure income. And it was great. You know, that's what I thought I was going to do the rest of my life. I wanted to be. A corporate executive at some point. So I was, you know, investing in myself and reading business books. And like, that's just where I saw my life. Like I would be, you know, climb the corporate ladder and, you know, eventually retire once I hit retirement age. Um, that was great. Well, what happened was when I was uh, just before I got married, actually, I was engaged to be married and my father was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer. It was one of those, you know, you got six to nine months to live and, you know, with treatment and you got to kind of figure this out. And like, it completely upend, like, up, upended our entire lives. Um, you know, going through, he was in hospice and taking care of him and treatments and, you know, all that fun stuff. Um, and seven weeks after my wedding, he ended up passing away. So thank you. Um, he was 60, you know, he was still quite young, you know, he wasn't in his nineties, but he passed away the day before he was supposed to retire. Wow. And it really like just shook me because he would always talk about like, when I retire, we're going to go to Thailand. And when I retire, we're going to go do this. And like, it was always after, 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 like after you get married or after your brother gets his PhD, like then I'm going to retire and go do all these cool things. And, you know, life just blindsided him. Right. And he had no chance to do any of that stuff. And so I sat there and like really thought about it for months and was like, I can't do this. Like, I'm not, I'm 28 years old. I've still got 30 plus years to go before I get to retirement age. And what I'm going to work 60 hours a week for my, you know, my crappy two week vacation. And I'm always going to push things off and talk about, you know, after this, I'll do it. And after that, and like, it just, I had a, you know, an epiphany that this is not the life that I want anymore. And I need to figure out what I need to do. Right. I need to figure out how to change it. Uh, so at the same time, like we had just bought an investment property, but we bought it as a house hack. So house hacking is when you buy a property, you live in one unit, you rent out the others. And really it was never a path to investing. 
it was just to eventually have a single family house. We were a young couple. We weren't married yet. We didn't have kids. So we lived in a three bedroom apartment. And then eventually when we needed more space, we would take out a wall, move a staircase. Now we've got two floors, you know, and then eventually we would take out the third unit. Right. And this would be our single family house. And we would just grow into it. Like that was the plan. So when we were exploring, like how we wanted our like our life to look like and what and how to get there, really, uh, real estate investing came up as an option. You know, I, I'd been I'd actually been licensed for about 10 years at that point. I just never used my license for anything. I hated real estate. I hated working with the retail buyers because it was all about like paint colors and feelings. And I just, you know, I was in it for like six months and I was out. I was like, I can't do this. Um, but so, yeah, we, you know, started looking at investment properties and bought another one. And then we bought another one and, but, you know, but, started snowballing. You had any, you, your, so your father wasn't an entrepreneur. Was your husband? No, right. Any entrepreneur? No. Nothing. So it was no. just like your father passed no. and it was like, we need to make a change in our lives. We yeah. Need to, we need to do something bold, right? My dad worked at the post office for 30 plus years, um, you know, and my husband was an environmental scientist. Um, which don't even, yeah, I still don't even know what he did really, to be honest. Um, <laughs> like what a weird job, but you know, we were all like, we were all like, you were raised, right. You go to college, you get a good job, you work at a good company, right. You, you put your 6% into your 401k and they match it, you know, and then like, eventually you, you know, you buy a house, you pay it off and then you retire. Like that's what the American dream is, right. um, you know, and realize that that wasn't, and I said, if it if it wasn't for that happening, I don't think I would have changed my perspective and made a life change, but it was really the catalyst for everything. Right. You know, I didn't want to end up like that. Right. Um, so like our goals were traveling two months a year, you know, how do we, how do we get money to pay for our house and pay for the lifestyle that we want, but still be able to take off two months a year and then afford those sort of vacations. Um, so like real estate investing was really the vehicle that started that. I said, I, you know, we bought properties in Chicago. We expanded to the Milwaukee market. We bought properties up there. Um, then I started a brokerage firm working with investors as well and started a conference for real estate investors, started a coaching business for agents to work with real estate investors. And that's where I'm at here today. Wow. Wow. What a journey. So, two, so it was 2013, 14 was kind of when it all, 2014 is kind of when it started. Yeah, I bought my first property in 2011. My dad passed in 2012. Then we bought another property in 2012, 2013, and then 2014 is when I left my corporate job to do it full time. Wow! And what you were buying duplexes? That's a, is that or single family or what? How did you? What was the first kind of? What were you targeting in terms of your purchases? Uh, either two to four unit properties, which is considered residential assets. Or small commercial assets, which is like between five and ten property, five and ten units. Right. So again, it really kind of it goes down to the housing stock, right? Um, so in the Chicago market, at least on the north side, our neighborhoods are built like between fifty to seventy percent of the housing stock is two to four unit properties. Wow. Same with the Milwaukee market. So when you walk down the block, at least half the properties are small apartment buildings. So almost all the renters here rent from private landlords. Right. So it's real easy to to build up a portfolio of those building types in those kind of markets. But if you were in an area like, let's say, Kansas City, there's not very many, like there's a very small housing stock of those. It probably wouldn't make sense to go that investment route. So the the, the area that you lived in sort of dictated what you were going to buy. Also, the financing is probably preferable with that, that you were buying, right? Because you can get you can get residential financing on those. Yep. 
So yeah, but all my all my Chicago properties were funded with residential financing and all my Milwaukee properties were funded with commercial financing. Even if it was a duplex, we still use commercial financing. Why? Because in the residential world, you are limited to up to 10 mortgages. So we wouldn't have been able to scale or grow the way that we wanted to by using residential loans. Interesting. So when we so yeah, so when we started in Milwaukee, it was actually quite interesting because I, you know, got I I fixated on this plan. I had this idea that we were gonna buy a bunch of properties. Yeah, I found an area that I liked. I knew what I, I knew what I wanted. I could not find a lender to work with me. Interesting. I I like was opened up Google and started Googling like commercial banks and was just calling lender after lender after lender. You know, I was out of state. I didn't have any experience in the Milwaukee market. You know, I'd only owned a couple of properties in Chicago and they didn't think I was qualified enough even to take a phone call with me to even consider lending to me. I just kept saying like, we don't, we don't, we don't do out-of-state investors um, unless you've got experience in this market. So I remember I posted on LinkedIn one day. I posted on LinkedIn and said, hey, I've got this portfolio I want to buy. I'm really having trouble finding a commercial lender. Can anyone help me? And this random guy I've never met contacted me on a Sunday morning. And said, hey, I know a guy who can help you. It's two points. He's a broker. You know, or you want to talk to him? I'm like, absolutely. And they ended up funding 21 properties for me. Wow. And for people who don't know, two points is pretty aggressive. But at that point, what do you care? What are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. It's either, you know, or it's it's no deal. Right, you know? right, right. And it was, only, it was only two points on the first properties. So it was only two points on the first five. Right. And then after I developed that relationship with them, I was able to continue to grow and buy more properties with them. And are you, so in, so in Chicago, you're getting long-term 30-year financing. So obviously you can go through the waves. In Milwaukee, you're getting commercial financing, which I don't know, five, seven, 10 years, you know, I don't know what you were able to secure. Five-year balloons. Five, okay, five years. So there's a little more risk there, right? It, yes. It, so um, it was interesting on that. When we bought in like 2014, 2015, 2016 is when we did our portfolio we were getting 5% rates on a 25-year AM and a five-year balloon. Uh, but when we underwrote our portfolio, we underwrote it at six and a half, right? Assuming that rates would go up at some point, they would fluctuate. So when we went to go refinance, though, our rates were three and a quarter. Wow. Crazy. Oh, man. So we're we're up for our rebalance this year. We'll see where that lands. Right. Um, what are the rates today for these properties? Currently, they're still at three and a quarter. No, 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 I know. But what, oh, is, what is the- market? I don't know. I haven't talked to the bank yet. You know, <laughs> uh, probably around seven and a half-ish. Is it really? Wow, it's that yeah. high. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, I wonder if you could just go to the private market and get it cheaper at some point because- You might be able to. I mean, and I feel like I've been, t I have a friend who's buying in escrow and I was talking to them about, I mean, I really, and I could be totally wrong, but I really think rates are going to come down a little bit this year at some point. Um, you know, how much nobody knows that's the billion dollar question or maybe trillion dollar question. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a peculiar situation if you're buying a house right now or property, because if you do believe it's going to go down in a year, like how much do you want to put into this loan? If, you know, it's going to be seven and a half and then maybe in a year it's going to be six or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I guess this is this is the gamble and the fun thing about real estate, right? So yeah, I mean, it's completely stalled the market, to be honest. Um, you know, so so on my brokerage side, I work with investors to buy properties. Okay. And when when the rates started going up, right, about half of my clients decided to sit out. You know, um, they're like, you know, this is too much for me. We're just going to sit out and see what happens. 
Now, the other half of the clients were still buying, but they were buying based on cap rates solely. You know, we're going to buy based on cap rate, knowing that we're confident that rates will go down at some point and we can refinance, right? And then increase our cash flow, but we're not buying on cash flow today because that's impossible with the current rates. Right. Now, my personal opinion, which is completely uneducated and a total guess, is that this was all a ruse, right? I think the end game was always to be around high fives, low sixes. And they thought to themselves, if we go from three to six, they're going to be pissed. But if we go from three to eight and then go back down to six, everyone's going to be so excited that they're not eight, that they're going to, they're going to be fine with it. I six. love this. This you is know, it's, it's, a, it's completely uneducated, but that's how I feel. Like this was all just to mess with us so that we would be happy with six. Marie, I like this. It's all about setting expectations, right? You know, yeah. So like I said, even just, I can tell you right now, the Chicago market has been like our inventory as a whole has been terrible for almost 18 months now. It's like it fell off a cliff, you know, we're typically like, in. do you have any numbers of like percentages of inventory or, or any? So, so like I work in the small multifamily world, typically two to four unit properties. Um, our market is very spring, summer heavy just because Chicago sucks in winter and no one wants to leave the house. Absolutely. So. Like 80% of our business is done from Memorial Day to Labor Day every single year. Typically in summer months, right? I'm probably analyzing 200 properties a week and finding eight to 10 options that are worth checking out, right? Seeing, running numbers on. The last, pretty much the last two summers, I was looking at maybe 50 properties a week I was analyzing and I was lucky to find two a week. Like wow. the whole month of July this year, I had not a single property to show my clients because mm -hmm. not a single property met my minimum metrics for an investment. So it was, you know, completely, our business was terrible last year, but now something happened ever since they started lowering rates. I think buyer confidence has changed. We are, I have never been this busy in a February in my entire life and 10 years of this business. It's like summer right now sure. where I've been working 12 to 14 hour days. Um, I just had a listing hit the market last week. We had 30 showings in 24 hours and I got eight offers, six over asking price. Wow. This is, you were the listing agent. On yes. This. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's fantastic. Great news. Honestly, that's yeah. exciting to, and and so have rates hit that six, they haven't hit that 6%. No. They, people no. just, you, you just hypothesize that that's kind of where things will kind of settle. That's what all the people smarter than me say. You know, a lot of the economists and the experts who know this kind of stuff are anticipating rates to be like 5.75 to six and a quarter by the end of the year. Um, I think, again, that would be great. But I think it's because we're, we're not eight, you know, um, people are going to be very happy to deal with that. But we're already starting to see like even clients I had two years ago that told me they were sitting out are now coming back to me and saying like, OK, I'm ready to buy because they're confident that they could still buy on cap rate and then refinance once rates go lower because they're confident that rates will go lower now. And Brie, so the what, sentiment has changed. Yeah, and what, you said you have a very specific metric uh, that you look at. So you, you're analyzing deals for buyers and then some of them hit your, a certain metric that you'll show, I'm assuming, which is pretty common in commercial real estate. What's, yeah. your, what's your kind of broad strokes? Like, is it a certain cap rate? Is it pretty a much, yeah. like rent? You look for like, we look for like a 6% cap rate. So it's got to be 6% out of the game. You know, you well, it depends, right? So if you're if you're buying in more of an A-class asset area or the property was completely just renovated, you know, we do a lot of gut renovations of 100 plus year old homes here. 
you're probably looking at high fives, 5.75 to six um, for that sort of quality or location. Generally speaking, we look at six, six and a quarter for the average property. And then if the property needs renovation, depending on the level of renovation, we're looking closer to six and a half or seven. Got it. And so for people that don't know that listening, cap rate, I mean, we've talked about it on the show, but capitalization rate means you buy the property all cash, that's going to be. So if it's a 6% cap rate, you're going to make 6% on whatever the price is of your property. That's capitalization rate. And obviously what Bree was talking about is that some of our investors actually were still in the market because if you added financing onto deals, the cash flow didn't make sense because interest rates were at seven and a half, cap rates are at six. So that's, you're at a negative uh, arbitrage. So you can't make money, right? In essence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so the market's back. So it's, it's like summer, but it's February and cold in Chicago. So it's not like summer, but it's, you know, feels like summer. Yeah. Like, what, um, what do you think is where, where the demand is your old clients coming back that are just kind of like ready to jump back in the market? Are you getting new investors? Are you seeing a new trend in any kind of investors coming to the market younger or anything different you're seeing out there this time around? No, it's pretty much the same. Um, I said, like, I would say my client base is late twenties, early thirties oh. is generally like the, the age range that I deal with. Um, again, they, they typically, they've gone to college. They've done, they're pretty, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they've gone to college, they've done the corporate thing. They're, you know, mid-career level and they're already not liking it. They were pretty much in the same position that I was, you know, like where they're like, it. yeah. So they typically will use investing. Like their plan is to keep their corporate job, which was my original plan. My plan was always to keep the corporate job. Let's buy some investment properties, right? Pay them down aggressively. And then we can retire early and travel. You know, um, so that's kind of their plan is like, let's build some or some wealth on the side. You know, let's start tenants, pay down the properties, pay down the mortgage, you know, building some wealth. And then when, if something happens, we leave our job or we decide to retire early, we've got incoming cash flow to help support us. Yeah. That's I mean, generally the strategy. And for you personally, is there a target uh, cash flow that you're looking for to eventually not do any brokerage or do anything, or do you love it and you're just going to keep going? Or is there like a target that like, once I can make this off my properties per year, I'm out of the game. I hit, yeah. I hit that target a while ago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so there is no number. There is no number. It's just now. No, um, I stopped buying though. Like I have not, when I hit my target, I stopped buying properties and let it ride. Um, so we were looking at $35,000 a month gross rents. And ten thousand dollars a month after cash flow, essentially. Um, but I again, I thought I would be this like chill person who just like relaxes and reads books and coffee shops, and I'm not that person at all. So <laughs> I didn't know that. You know, I don't know. I, thought, like, I, don't, I don't know anyone with, with kids that are four or two that are hanging out. Like, at even before kids, you know, like yeah. this all. Like I'm very lucky that I started all this before kids yeah. because it it gives me the ability to work. I only work twenty hours a week typically. Okay. So I get to spend, my kids are in school 20 hours a week. That's when I work. And then the rest of the day is family time. You know, my husband's a stay-at-home dad. We get to spend the vast majority of our time together as a family doing activities. So I'm very blessed that I built this these companies and I built this lifestyle before I had kids because I had no idea how much work they were. Nice. Um, you know, but that was always the plan. Like even when I started the brokerage, like it, it started on accident. You know, I had no plans. I had my license. I had no plans on starting my own company or being an agent. Just that someone heard me on a podcast and met me at a networking event 
and said, Hey, I, I heard your story. I, I want to do exactly what you do, what you did with your life. Can you help me? I was like, well, technically you know, I'm licensed. I can, you know, go show you properties and stuff. And I can tell you what I did and just explain it. So I had no car. I lived in Chicago for eight years with no car. I'm like, you got to pick me up and take me to showings. <laughs> like, you know, he's like, sure. And you know, that's what I we did. And, you know, this I was like, I'm like I got some free time to hear an agent tell the client to pick them up is the yeah. greatest. That's the greatest. I didn't get a, I didn't get a car for like almost a year. Yeah, why not? Was like it was, it was like then people started like, hey, I heard you help so and so. Can you help me? And like it just people just kept coming to me and asking me to help. And it was never like it was like okay, I got some free time, you know, like I'll help you out. It was never a business. And then I started to realize like I actually love this. Like this feeds. This feeds my addiction because to me, real estate's an addiction, right? I used to be a normal person who had normal conversations with people and was able to like small talk at parties. Us deals. It's you just... <laughs> my friends are all real estate investors now. Like my entire contact list is real estate investors. Like I love, I just love to talk about real estate, you know, in any capacity. So I'm not normal anymore. I can't go to those Super Bowl parties and just chit chat. Like it, I want to leave. I don't, I just can't be there. Um, I love it. But you know, it, it took over my life and I love, I love the strategy, right? I love looking at properties. I love talking numbers. I love talking projections. Like I actually don't like owning properties. I figured out, I hate dealing with tenants. I hate the day-to-day -day operations of it. I've completely outsourced that. Like I get to wake up every day. I get to run numbers on properties. I get to talk strategy with people. I get paid to do it. And then I don't have to deal with the tenants. Right. Exactly. You know, it's like, it's the perfect thing for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It may, I mean, and that's why so many investors across the country aren't willing to buy. Their, they they go through syndications or they yeah streets or they because they just can't deal with the day to day. But then there's people. I mean, really, there's a lot of money in dealing with the the dirty aspect of managing, right? If you're good yeah. at, um, you can really find a lot of. There's a lot of money there if you're a good manager, but it, it's it's tough eviction. It's tough. Dealing with the, you know, water damage, you know, all the stuff that, that goes along with all of that stuff. So, so that's amazing. So you, you found your 10 years in, you found the, the part that you love. You love the deal. Yeah. I love the deal. I love the deal finding, the deal you know? Finding. Yeah. Yeah. When I was in commercial real estate, that was definitely the most exciting part was finding these deals and, you know, trying to, and, you know, in terms of cap rates being in, in LA, we're dealing with a little lower cap rates. So yeah. Finding a, you know, you were talking about six cap rates. I mean, that in LA, that's nearly impossible to find uh, anything like in, in that kind of area. So um, do you have any agents that work for Second City or is it just you and then you, you do have agents? Okay. Yeah, we've got agents that work for me and exactly. we all work with investors. And they're mm -hmm. all just doing the same, just investment style properties, nothing. Pretty much. Yeah. And we're all investors first. Like all of every single one of my agents was an investor that fell in love with it and ended up like going to get licensed to do real estate full-time. So I've got a former, I've got a CPA, I've got a pharmacist, I've got a cop. Um, I've got a couple of corporate jobs. Like that's what they all, like everyone had corporate jobs, started doing real estate on the side, you know, and like just had a passion for it right. and decided to leave their jobs and go do it full-time as, as an agent. Wow. Interesting. So interesting that people are just, and these are all like pretty high profile jobs too. I mean, these Absolutely, are, yeah. my clients are all doctors, lawyers, you know, yeah. um, that are just 
they're looking for something of uh, something to fall back on. Right. You know, um, I think that again, the, the American dream of, you know, at least when I was young, right. I graduated high school in 2001. It was like drilled in our heads. Like you go to college, that's your only option. You go to college, right. you know, right. and you go find a job and then you stay there. And looking back now that I'm 40, like it is incredibly irresponsible to make an 18 year old decide what they want to do with the rest of their lives. Yeah. Like I thought I knew everything in my twenties. And now that I'm 40, like I look back and I laugh, like I was so stupid in my twenties. Um, I had no idea. You were taught, right? I mean, that, that, you know, I think it's changing now, but I, it, I mean, that it was, is changing now. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that wasn't far from, you know, if you didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial household, that was the the path. That was, yeah, absolutely. Track. Um, so, you know, and then I can't tell you how many friends have like fine arts degrees, right. Or like random degrees that mean nothing in real life, you know, um, that that's not going to really get you anywhere. And now there's all the, you know, the, the pushback about college debt, right. And not being able to find jobs in your field. So like, I think we're seeing a, a shift in mindset overall, especially with social media, You've got, you know, people talking about financial freedom. There's, you know what FIRE is? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, financial independence, retire early, like FIRE groups. There's the whole FIRE movement. There's podcasts about it. Um, you know, there's there's so much resources talking about, you know, living your life differently than we were told we were supposed to. And side jobs, side hustles is a big buzzword too, right? Yeah. Um, so you're, you're seeing this. I got a shit. problem with FIRE though, because- I always say, like, I think it's hard to know how much money you're really going to need. Absolutely. I, like, like you, for instance, you found something you're really good at and passionate about. Like, like as much as you're comfortable now, like, I always think like smart people are thinking like, what if something I need more in ten and I just quit, right? And I'm I'm living mm -hmm. off X. So I don't know about this. It's fine. It seems great. It seems great, and I see people selling courses about it. But I, I also think like realistically inflation is, you know, seven to 10%, probably realist every year. Like if your investments and everything aren't scaling to that amount, maybe things get more expensive or you have to take a family member in. I, I, I really do think that the fire is a little, it's a little misleading to think that like at 28, you're going to bring in, you know, $7,000 a month in cash flow and you're going to be fine because you add two kids, you add private school oh, yeah. life you know, 7,000 is, you know, out the window pretty fast. So, uh, but I think it provides the, the, the foundation of financial independence to be able to do what you love. True. You know, like I said, I, you know, when we hit our financial goal, like I could have retired and just not done anything. I was single, you know, I was married, but no children, you know, and we wanted to travel, but like, that just wasn't me, you know? And like, it seems every three to four years, I end up starting a new business anyways, because yeah. I get, once I get my business like started and once I get it systemized, right. And I get it like operating without me, then I take a little bit of time off and then I get antsy. Like I want to go start a new project. I want to go do something new, but like, if it were all to crash and burn, you know, at least I have that backup sure. right That's to cover me for a year, you know, or, or until I figure out my next move. Right. Or if I need to take off some time, like yeah. I've got that backup there. Security. Absolutely. Security. Talk to me about COVID, Bree. Uh, what, how did what happened in the market to, in Chicago? What did was there anything happening or? It was so crazy. It's crazy. It was, 
Yeah. It's good. Our business is generally since we, you know, there's so many small apartment buildings in Chicago. So when COVID happened, my daughter was like nine months old. Um, I was just coming off of maternity leave. And I remember telling my husband, like, guess I got more time off work because I can't do anything. The state shut, the state mandated that we could not show any buildings that were tenant occupied. Mm. So our business completely shut down until they reopened that right after Memorial Day. It's like in early June, but we weren't allowed to show any buildings that had tenants and no one in their right mind was going to sell a vacant building in COVID when everyone was freaking out about rents. Who was going to buy that? Right? right. No one. Right. So right. we actually didn't see a huge impact though, to be honest. Um, you know, all my tenants paid rent. Um, my Chicago market is more like B class. We had not a single tenant miss rent. My Milwaukee market is C class. We definitely had a few bumps in the road and a few issues, uh, but we were able to really work through all of them. So it really like the rent collection part when it all started that everyone was freaking out about never ended up really happening. Um, but then we definitely had to adjust things. You know, we ran into a lot of uh, modifications. You know, I would go to sell a building and the tenants weren't comfortable with me doing a ton of showings. So instead we would do those virtual tours, those 3D Matterports, right? right? And then we we just wouldn't show their unit until we were under contract so that we were limiting the amount of people that were coming through. You know, you had to kind of adjust the business, you know, and, and work around that. It, that was not an uncommon thing to not be able to see all the units when you wrote offers. But then, you know, business really shifted and it shifted in a good way, at least for us, because you have to understand like the the way Chicago is is set up. We have a downtown loop, a CBD, and the loop is where all the corporate offices are. Right. And the loop is where you can get a $3,000 studio apartment and a high rise building that's super tiny. So when the when COVID shut down the loop, you had all these people that started to realize, why am I paying $3,000 for a shoebox? Now that I'll be working from home, I can't do this. So we got a ton of people that left our, our Chicago loop vacancy rate got up to about 30% at one point. And those people shifted. Yeah. They shifted, you know, five to seven miles North, Northwest to the neighborhoods where all the private landlords are and started buying buildings as well as like our rents really increased in these neighborhoods because people wanted bigger spaces. They're working from home now, right? They wanted to be able to walk to restaurants and live in neighborhoods. So we saw a huge like price price increase, price growth, as well as rent increases as well in the neighborhood markets. But our downtown market is still really struggling with not only office building vacancies, but a lot of the apartment buildings down there have vacancies as well. Yeah, no. So it depends on what kind of market you're in, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. I, you know, obviously you see the news in Chicago and the city, the looting and everything sort of happening. How has that affected you know, obviously you mentioned just recently that, you know, people moved out of that area. Is that still having a, a dramatic effect? Because I know some corporations are nervous. Um, are you seeing any spillover to to what you're doing? Um, no, not at all. Uh, again, we, we primarily work in the neighborhoods. Yeah. So along the lakefront and in the downtown CBD is where you'll find, you know, those 200, 300 unit commercial assets. Um I deal a lot with more smaller landlords and that's just, it's just not in those areas. Yeah. And Chicago is, uh, I was there last year with my family for my first time. Uh, we were, yeah. Yeah. First time went to a, a Cubs game. What an incredible experience uh, that was. Um, you know, we were staying on the waterfront there. So we walked up and down, ate great food, went to the, all the museums, 
And I think we were there the one perfect week of weather because we were like, we love it here. You know, absolutely is amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, the charm of, of Chicago, it's such a great, we were saying it's such a great family city, Absolutely. Uh, you know, easy to get around, nice people. Um, and so it's definitely a, you know, a city that I think is very desirable, uh, for, for, you know, small families to, to be in. And, uh, we, we absolutely loved it. You know, I ate so much pizza and food. I, I my pants were tight by the end of the trip it was amazing so you know we're definitely not a diet culture um <laughs> it's right you know even like i had a uh an airline one of my clients was actually from la and so he was a pilot that was looking to um change his home airport to chicago so he was looking to buy a three to four unit property here and move to chicago and like we were going out one day to look at properties and we were like, let's stop for lunch. I'm like, do you have any like dietary restrictions? Are you vegan? He's like, I am vegan. Like, thank you for asking. Like, how did you think I was vegan? I'm like, you're from LA, dude. Like, <laughs> you know, of course. I used to work in LA. So like here we eat burgers and hot dogs and pizza, yeah. um, so you know, he, Italian beef. What did he do? He didn't eat anything? Though? I had a good, no, I had to go find him a vegan restaurant. I know I had to Google it. I didn't know where a vegan restaurant is in Chicago. Um, oh, but man. like, different so, mindset especially when it comes to food but yeah like so you have to understand like the wrigleyville is in a neighborhood you know it's outside of downtown and you find this disparity like i have not been i think I, besides going to the theater with my kids or the museums you know i used to work downtown i stopped working downtown 10 years ago i don't go downtown for anything right. unless i absolutely have to right. you know like that's it's just a different there's no reason for me to be there like i would much rather spend my time in the neighborhoods uh, where you get better restaurants, better, like more independent theaters. Um, it's just more fun. It's more, it's more walkable than going downtown. So not everyone lives in the downtown market. I would say most people live in the neighborhoods and then the neighborhoods vary neighborhood by neighborhood. Of course. Makes sense. Well, Bree, I appreciate it. Second city is your brokerage or self-made millionaire and uh, you know, life takes you in, in interesting ways. And I think, you uh, saw the writing on the wall and, and ventured out on your own, took the, the bold step of creating your own business, getting into real estate. Really fun for me to talk and learn about Chicago and Milwaukee. And actually, I'd love for you to maybe send me a deal or two here. We can talk about that later because I, I, I love looking at real estate and I own a, a portion <laughs> in a number of, uh, of apartment buildings. So I'd love to learn more and uh, always look at it. It's an addiction. It is, you know, it really is an addiction. I love everything with investing, whether it's, you know, silver and gold or, you know, a part, you know, real estate, crypto. I love I, just anything I love to, to learn about. So really appreciate you having uh, or you coming on the show today uh, and talking about your journey. And if anybody will have a link to uh, Second City in, in the description box. And if anybody wants to reach out to Bree, they can. And again, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your experience and your insight. Yeah, thank you for having me.